0: Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, DC area. I'm Laura. I'm the vice president of Team DC, and I've played and loved sports my whole life. I've played with Team DC member clubs, the DC Furies Women's Rugby Club, and Rogue Darts.
0: And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC, and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC member clubs, including the DC Gay Flag Football League, Kara Bowling, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, and the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. I'm also a member of the DC Different Drummers, and I do a little bit of drag on the side.
1: We hope you enjoy this week's trip Under the Bleachers.
0: Welcome, everyone. Lauren Gabe here. It's December 6th, and you're listening to Under the Bleachers. On this podcast, we take turns, and this week, it's Laura's turn to choose our topics. For a discussion of all things queer, she chose a new gay Christmas rom-com. For a conversation of all things sports, it's college football conference championships. And for our topic at the intersection of sports and queer, we're discussing a new gay college scholarship. After that, we're going to share our interview with the Center for Black Equity.
1: First, an update on Team DC. Team DC. This Wednesday, December 8th, Team DC is hosting a holiday party at Uproar from 6 to 8 p.m. There will be food and a cash bar. We will also be conducting a winter clothing drive, so bring your lightly used winter clothes to donate. And if you donate two items, you will get a complimentary rail drink or Bud Light courtesy of Uproar. Team DC board elections will be held at the annual meeting in January and nominations are being accepted now. Positions up for election include vice president, secretary, treasurer, board member for scholarship, board member for fundraising, board member for communications, and board member in charge of the night out series. If you would like to nominate yourself or another person, or if you'd like more information about any of these positions, please email less at teamdc.org. Be sure to follow Team DC and its member clubs on social media for updates. Find Team DC. On Facebook at Team DC LGBT and on Twitter and Instagram at Team DC Sports.
0: Laura and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at UndertheBleachers.podbean.com and in all your favorite podcast apps, including Apple Podcast and Google Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe to Under the Bleachers for all the latest news at the intersection of sports and queer. Now, here's Laura with our first topic in this week's trip, Under the Leechers.
1: My queer topic this week, Netflix has released its first gay Christmas movie. Single All the Way stars Michael Urey, best known for his portrayal of Mark St. James on the ABC dramedy television series, Ugly Betty, and Philemon Chambers in his first starring role. Chambers is the first queer Black actor to land a rom-com at Netflix. It's a Christmas rom-com with all the tropes you expect from such a movie, but with a love triangle featuring three gay men at the center of it all. The movie is out there, and it's fine. I really enjoyed seeing a gay love story without any tragedy or traumatic (laughs) closeted behavior at the core. Jennifer Coolidge is absolutely delightful as the wacky aunt visiting for Christmas, but other than that, it's kind of just okay. So, if you're a Christmas rom-com fan, this one should definitely make your list. Uh, so, Gabe, what is your favorite Christmas rom-com, and do you think that Single All the Way could live up to it? I mean, I love
0: the, the rom-com where the small-town the, the small girl moves to the big city, but has to go back and save the Christmas festival, and meets, like, the butcher's <laughs> son, and then they get married and she moves back, or whatever, <laughs> like... <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, okay, so, you know, the big city to the small town trope is, like, very typical for this (laughs) rom-com, and is at the center of Single All the Way, where, (laughs) like, our two main characters live in L.A., and they are roommates in L.A., but one of them has to go home for Christmas to small town in New Hampshire, <laughs> and so brings his roommate slash best friend with him for the holiday. And then of course once you get into a small town, you oh, fall like in love with lobster farmers or something like In, oh, New, in Hampshire? New Hampshire. <laughs> okay, no. I was thinking <laughs> no, it's they all work if- at Ben and Jerry's. Well No, that's remote. The sister owns the uh, town bar, the one bar in town in the small town in New Hampshire, of course, because they right. need a place for them all to meet and mingle during exactly. the movie it 's unclear that the rest of the family has any job. Uh, <laughs> the mother spends most of her time at the gym, which is a like basically a fake soul cycle, <laughs> and she has um a trainer who is the only other gay person apparently in this town <laughs> who she wants the only to gay set- in the village yeah and she wants to set her gay son up on a blind date with the other gay boy and hence the love triangle blooms.
0: I mean you're saying three gay men in a love triangle that's very DC
1: <laughs> it, well it's also very Christmas rom-com except that it's usually a girl and two guys. True <laughs> so Now, listen, Jennifer Coolidge is stars in this, and by stars, I mean she's a star. She has a very (laughs) small role, but she's the wacky aunt who comes home and she has dreams of being a Broadway star. So she comes home to this small town in New Hampshire and produces, directs, and stars in a Christmas pageant that she writes herself called Jesus H. Christ. I mean, (laughs) and she dresses up as Glinda the Good Witch for no like explained reason <laughs> and just like because. yeah so and then through the rest of the movie she's mostly wearing like print like tops under different leopard print jackets like it's she's just perfect like there is a synchronized dance to a Britney Spears song there i mean it, but really it has a lot to like it's if you were going to judge this on um is this a good movie and like put it up against all the movies you've ever seen it probably would like land in the bottom half right but putting it up there as like a Christmas rom-com I think it's everything you would want if that's what you're looking for
0: I mean if you're gonna watch a I mean you know going in like a rom-com this isn't gonna be the best movie in the world but it's gonna be something you know fun to watch during the holidays and get you excited and get you in the spirit so i'm all for it go for it yeah it checks all the boxes
1: it checks all the boxes michael yuri is actually delightful like i did watch ugly betty but didn't really ever remember liking him or his character but he's really cute like he's he definitely has like enough appeal to like be a star in a in a in a rom-com and this new guy philemon chambers is fucking adorable like through the whole movie i was like he's the best part of this movie i just i really liked him so i would say definitely put this on your list watch it this christmas it's nice to see a gay love story where there's no like homophobia being thrown around or like closeted porn like you know trauma porn type stuff like we don't have any of that in there it's really nice to see just like a cute gay movie where you can just be as mediocre as every other rom-com out there. <laughs>
0: yeah, where it's not, a uh, you know, coming out <laughs> isn't the big secret, like, or whatever. Right. The
1: yeah, of so, off. right. So put it on your list, but know that what you're getting into. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that is my review. And my favorite Christmas rom-com is the one, um, I can't think of the name of it, but there's like the two girls are both like going through breakups and they decide to like trade lives, like they trade houses for the holiday. And then they both like fall in love while they're living in the other person's house. It's like, uh, maybe Cameron Diaz you might be one of the girls. Iowa. Yeah. And like Jack Black is one of the guys. And it's like totally unexpected to see him as like the male, at the you know, the male lead at a rom-com. Cause he's just not that traditionally like heartthrob. He's does like he usually the, the uh, funny guy.
0: Does it say the, the, the small towns city like Christmas holiday parade because they ran out of money and, have to throw some sort of like, I don't know. We could write our own rom com watch.
1: We absolutely could, <laughs> but you know, I'm just throwing out there what my favorite one is. I might have to watch that this holiday season. Let's write one where they like meet, like either
0: on the rugby pitch or like on the, you know, on the kickball field.
1: Mm, that could be the beginning of the perfect meet cute.
0: <laughs> We're gonna be uh, stuck in DC, a Christmas holiday story. Uh, I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i like i i like the idea of getting out of
0: dc for the holiday season that's, well that's the that's the story they wanted to go back to their small towns
1: but they couldn't so they stay it's a reverse rom-com it's, oh we're gonna turn it turn the whole genre on its head <laughs> i i got it i'm in we'll do this stay tuned <laughs> uh netflix 2022 holiday <laughs> season it'll be coming we'll call a guy <laughs>
0: All right, so what's going up in sports?
1: What's going on in sports?
0: Sports.
1: (laughs) In sports, this weekend was conference championship weekend, and the playoff picture is now set. In the Pac-12, number number 17, Utah, topped number 10, Oregon, 38-10. In the Big 12, number 9, Baylor beat number 5, Oklahoma State, 21-16. In the Big 10, number 2, Michigan, crushed number 15, Iowa, 42-3. In the AAC, number three Cincinnati defeated number 15 Houston 35 to 20, and in the biggest upset of the season, the SEC championship game saw the number one ranked undefeated Georgia Bulldogs lose handily to number four Alabama, 41 to 24. We knew going into this weekend that Georgia had already clinched a playoff berth, and after an exciting weekend of play, we now know that Georgia will be joined in the playoffs by Alabama, Michigan and Cincinnati. Gabe, did you see that Georgia loss coming? And do you have any predictions for the playoffs? Uh, I
0: didn't see the Georgia loss, but that was amazing. Uh, I'm just, like doing a shout out to my friend Shane, who's a big Alabama fan. Um, he was going nuts. I mean, everybody was going nuts because that was huge. <laughs> Nobody saw that. Everybody was like, "Okay, sweet Georgia's going to crush Alabama. We're going to move on." Um, I mean, just I, see what the say, I kind like, of
1: thought that Georgia was gonna. I kind of thought that Georgia was gonna choke because I feel like Georgia chokes a lot when it when they're doing well. You know, like I wouldn't bet on it, but I wasn't entirely surprised. I feel like Alabama, Nick Saban, whatever, will win every most important game that they are put into.
0: Yeah, I mean, I did see. I, I saw part of the Baylor game. Um, that was pretty good. I mean, and I'm glad they beat Ohio. I mean, uh, Oklahoma State uh, because Oklahoma. Oklahoma State beat. well, yeah, they beat Ohio. I mean, not Ohio. Why do I keep saying Ohio? They
1: I mean, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State had a hell of yeah, a they year. Beat Oklahoma like last week, yeah. so I was
0: like, okay. I mean, they're they're a pretty good team.
1: Yeah, um, no. I mean, if Oklahoma okay. State if Oklahoma State had beat Baylor, they would have had a chance to make the playoffs. Like it yeah. would have been a, it would have been a tougher. Call, it would have been right, but, yeah, yeah, they um, had a really good year. I watched the first half of the Michigan Iowa game, and it was so fucking boring that I <laughs> turned it off, and then. And it was 14 to three at halftime. And then Michigan apparently just went on a fucking tear in the second half yeah, and ended going up. On. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty good uh, weekend. I, for one, am a little tired of watching Alabama win national championships. But, <laughs> you know, if you're the best team out there, you're the best team out there. But I don't think I have any predictions for what's going to happen in the playoffs. Like, I feel like with these four teams, almost anything could happen. I think that. You know, Michigan has a chance, and like, you know, I mean, very
0: uh, well. Like the past couple months, uh, past couple weeks, like it's insane. Yeah,
1: and like, I don't know what the hell with. Like all year long, Georgia has been averaging like giving up seven points a game, but Alabama just went out there and put forty-one points up on them. So I don't know. I mean, maybe everybody has finally figured out the weakness of the Georgia defense, and it's anybody's game.
0: (laughs) Sorry, Notre Dame. (laughs) <laughs> yeah poor Notre That's Dame for not being in a conference I mean one of these
1: days they're gonna have to uh join a conference like they like they haven't had that many you know this was one of their better seasons in a while they finally had a chance but like not playing yesterday definitely hurt their a hey, bowl season
0: <laughs> I still think there needs to be like the the tidy bowl or like the Kellogg cereal bowl
1: yeah, but like you wouldn't, none of the teams would want anybody who gets invited to the toilet bowl is going to respectfully decline. <laughs> so it's going to be hard to get it to.
0: Get it, it was the punch bowl, Brent, the punch bowl. <laughs> Still one of my favorite lines.
1: Oh, God.
0: <laughs> Theater geek. <laughs> what was that bowl game you made? It was the punch bowl, honey, the punch bowl.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, Gabriel.
0: Yes. I don't know. I'm excited for college football. I still regret. That's one of my only regrets in college was that I didn't go to a big enough school to have a huge football team. We didn't even have a football team. So I would sneak into the Texas A&M games. So I guess technically I was a Texas A&M fan, but it's like, it's fun to see, you know, how people love their like school's team. It's insane.
1: Yeah, I mean, yesterday at the end of the Georgia Alabama game, they just all they were showing the fans were blonde Georgia fans. It was like all of these girls with like a little G on their cheek looking so sad. And they were that was like, (laughs) I've never seen so many blonde girls just like the same standing in a line with like the saddest looks on their face. It was tragic, tragic,
0: tragic. They you need to do a montage where it's just like all of them crying and have that like Sarah McLachlan song singing in the background?
1: <laughs> that would be too much. For
0: 10 cents a day, you can sponsor
1: these students. <laughs> no. Th- these girls did not look like they needed sponsorship. They just <laughs> looked like, no, no, no. These like these girls were fine. They were just sad about their football team.
0: <laughs> wow. All right. We'll see. Um, I'm excited. We'll see what the lead up is to the championship game and all the bowl games leading up to New Year's. So, yay! <laughs> What's going on at the uh, intersection of sports and queer?
1: All right. Uh, the, this week's topic at the intersection of sports and queer is a new athletic scholarship to assist the LGBTQ community. The University of Colorado Athletics Department has created a full tuition scholarship for athletes seeking to use their platform to create positive change for the LGBTQ community. It's called the Colorado Athletics Visibility Award. They are believed to be the first university to ever create a scholarship like this. The award encourages athletes to create programs that will have a meaningful impact on LGBTQ visibility and inclusion. This year's recipients are volleyball player Alexia Cool, a middle blocker for the women's volleyball team, and Evan Batty, a forward for the men's basketball team. Cool is LGBTQ, Batty is not. Gabe, did you hear about this? Do you think this is cool? What impact do you think a scholarship like this could have?
0: Um, I didn't hear about this, but I think this is really cool. For one thing, it's probably going to get more people, uh, more, you know, folks from the community, so LGBTQ plus folks to play sports and probably go to the University of Colorado and be like, hey, I'm accepted here. I can get a scholarship. Why not? And get more um, people from the community to play sports.
1: Yeah, and I also think it's really awesome that they didn't just say, like, be a queer person. Instead, they said, create a program that will have a meaningful impact on LGBTQ visibility and inclusion. And, like, that's the criteria. I think that's awesome. Um, Both because, like, that means that straight people, right, are eligible for the scholarship, which I think is fine. But only if they want to use their platform to improve LGBTQ visibility and inclusion, which is awesome because that's what we need, particularly, I think, on the men's side of athletics. We need more um, you know, allies using their platform to build inclusivity so that it will be easier for more LGBTQ athletes on the male side to come out. You know, we've talked about that before that there seems to be a disparity between how easy it is for male athletes to come out and female athletes to come out. So I think it's It's a really great idea, a good way to have to build allyship um, in the athletic community so that there in the future can be more out LGBTQ athletes. And also, obviously, these programs will have a positive impact. So that's really, I think, super cool. Great idea. Um, And I hope that like everybody hears about this and every school does
0: yeah like you want more division one teams and even not even division one teams you want everybody to kind of be like okay we'll take this model take it out and just recruit more players I mean you're opening up your talent pool because think about it how many probably um, you know students high school students or maybe college kids who aren't out yet and want to play sports and like okay this is my chance to you know be myself and do something that I love
1: yeah no I when I read this I was like why didn't I think of that (laughs) like it's like (laughs) what a great freaking idea I'm like really impressed by this and I hope that you know this gets a lot of press and that every you know athletic director from uh college in the country like hears about this and goes and pitches to their university board that this should be a scholarship that they create immediately
0: yeah which also we should plug our team dc scholarship because the uh (laughs) nominations are I mean the call it? the is open for people to submit their... Uh...
1: Yes, if you know a high school senior in the DC, uh, Northern Virginia, Maryland, you know, DC metro area, who is a student athlete and is LGBTQ, you should encourage them to go to teamdc.org to read about our college scholarship and apply. The window to apply has opened. So now's the time.
0: Okay, that's this week's Under the Bleachers roundup of things queer, things sports, and things at the intersection of sports and queer. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to share our interview with the Center for Black Equity. All right, welcome back to Under the Bleachers. Today we have Earl Folks and Kenya Hutton from the Center for Black Equity. Thanks, y'all. Uh, how are y'all doing tonight? Doing well. Doing well. Thank you.
2: That is good, finally. Well.
0: <laughs> that is true. <laughs> yeah, happy to have you. So can you tell us real quick, uh, just starting out, what is the Center for Black Equity?
3: Okay, the Center for Black Equity is an organization uh, comprised of the majority of the Black uh, LGBTQ queer prides in the United States and about, uh, about a half dozen abroad. And what we do is we provide support for these organizations. They put on the community pride, Black pride in their cities but there are also uh, institutions that do other work throughout the year, and we support them by giving them technical, technical assistance. We bring them together once a year, what um, we did until COVID-19. Once a year for training and technical assistance, we have a, a training institute, which Kenya uh, runs. We have a, a leadership training institute. We provide sponsorship. We help to frame their their, their organization to be able to meet the the issues that are coming in, that are happening in their communities. And for example, COVID-19 was a fine example. Many of our organizations, because they had the training and the skill set, were able to step into the breach and bring valuable life-saving uh, information regarding COVID-19 to their communities that otherwise would have been overlooked.
2: But the other things that we do is um, we do, we, we're working on a new project that um, really is focusing on Sharing accurate information about COVID nineteen and increasing access to COVID nineteen vaccines is one of our newest programs that we've just launched.
1: Oh, that's terrific! Um, I just want to make sure that I don't have this wrong. Uh, you guys are an umbrella organization. Is the DC Black Pride run through your organization, or is there a separate organization? It could be a
3: separate organization, but we, you know, we were sharing the same office, and we, we are, I'm looking across the desk at Kenya, and I'm like. <laughs> This doesn't make any sense. We should be running D.C. Black Pride. (laughs) Like we have these two separate organizations that have to follow these two separate, you know, paperwork and finance and stuff. This doesn't make any sense. Okay.
1: Just making sure I wasn't out of my mind here. So what year was the first uh, Black Pride celebration in D.C.?
3: 1991. Memorial Day 1991.
1: Oh, fantastic. Kenya, um, Earl mentioned that you run leadership programs, which I love leadership programs. Can you give us a little bit of um, more detail about that? What specific leadership skills are you working on building with the... Sure, sure. So we're currently running what we call the Ron Simmons Leadership
2: Institute, Um, and we cover a variety of topics. Um, Right now, primarily focusing on leaders of... um, Black or Black Pride leadership, Black and Brown Pride leadership around the country. And some of the topics are as I read down my list, um, what does it take for me to be a better leader? Working with, working with my health department and government agencies, advocacy and policy. Um, what changes when you become a leader? Taking a trauma informed approach to your leadership. How to mobilize my community. Diversity, equity, and inclusion how am I making a difference? And everyone that goes through our um, leadership institute also gets certified in mental health first aid. Um, It's one of the things that we think is important as a leader of any kind of gathering is how to know how to respond um, in an effective way, right? Because a lot of times we respond or we think we're doing the right thing, but sometimes we're like, further traumatizing the situation or making it worse. So we, we have a training course and it's through the Behavioral Council of Mental Health um, where everyone gets certified on how to respond when someone's having a mental health episode and to get them to the next step. It's not a program that's gonna die. You're not gonna be able to diagnose people and treat people, but you'll just know how to ha- address the situation until you can get them to the help that they need. And it's one of the things that I really, really try to put into all of the training programs I do.
3: And one of the key things that Kenya um, is really good at and, and one something we emphasize is how to be a good ally. We expect, yeah. you know, we expect people to be good allies to us, but we have to learn to be good allies to other parts of our community and other right. communities. And we talk about, we spend a lot of time talking about what this allyship look like. It does it's not a black, white, brown thing. It's a, it's a, it's a gender thing, it's a race thing, it's a, a, a religious, it's, it's, we have to learn to be allies. I'm an ally to about a half dozen groups of people and you've know, you got to practice what you preach.
2: Yeah, and to like, so the ones I listed was like our core courses, but like to Earl's point, you know, what does it mean to be an ally? It's something we have delivered courses that people can take afterwards um to get further information, and that's one of them that we're developing um for individuals to learn, like, you know, to Earl's point, how can I be an ally? What does allyship look like? Because a lot of us, in spaces think we know what it looks like or what it should look like, but what does it really look like, right? So that's a conversation. I, and I hate to call it like a class, it's more of a conversation piece. Um, Cause you know, when you have a conversation, you gotta learn from everybody and everyone chips in. Um, so it's definitely one of the things that we have adding onto the program as well.
1: All right. I mean, it sounds like an incredibly robust program. And if If there's a group of people somewhere in a city somewhere that doesn't already have a black pride, being celebrated every year and they want to try to start up an organization in their town. Is it appropriate for them to contact you to get help? Oh yes.
2: A.h.e.org, e.folks, it's kind of like just shoot one of us an email. <laughs> we 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 want to make sure that you know every corner of this country has the experience of what a Black Pride is. I know what it was for me, Earl knows what it was for me, and there's countless and countless of people that, you know, we see every year when we have Black Pride before COVID, um, how it impacted people's lives um, and how it created a safe space for individuals, especially in certain areas that aren't safe to come out. They have no kind especially of- Especially in the rural South, especially yeah. in the rural South. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where they don't have a sense of community, um, what that Black Pride does. So if anyone is listening and they want to start a Black Pride, reach out to us. One of the things we do is we provide technical assistance, hand, almost hand-holding step-by-step to get your Black Pride going. One of the most recent ones Earl has really helped and lifted up was um, in Richmond, Virginia and Selma, Alabama. Um, they have Little Rock, and I've been to little, little Rock little more
3: times than I, w- I would think <laughs> I would ever have to go. Some <laughs> Selma, Alabama, that's, you, you have to and, be and there to believe it.
2: Yeah, and that's the other thing too is like, you know, we're not only providing technical assistance over the phone or on Zoom or whatever, we actually go there. Actually Earl goes yeah. there. Um, I've been to
3: about 350 work. Black Prides and Community Prides over the last yeah. 20 years.
1: Oh wow, that's awesome.
3: And people so think like, it's fun, it's, it's work.
1: Yes, yeah, so and not only do you get the training,
2: you know, he's actually there on the ground, um, really helping you um, make sure your pride can be the best pride it can, because, you know, it is about, it's about the community at the end of the day.
0: You're the Center for Black Equity, and this is something that we've been talking to a lot of our teams. Uh, so how do you define equity?
3: Well, I define equity as having a fair, uh, the same way you, you, you have equity in playing baseball. Mm-hmm. You you have the, the same amount of players. You have a field that's the same d- dimension every time you go onto it. The rules are the same, and the the umpire he has a strike zone and he calls it the way he sees it. And it should be uh, if it's out of the strike zone, there should be a ball. If it's in the strike zone, and or the person who swings, is a strike. That's equity. It means it is fair and impartial. The umpire is the arbitrator of the rules, and he's fair and impartial. um, if Kenya and I are going for the same job, I have this, and I have more skills, I should get the job, not because I'm because I have a better skill set, but I should not get the job because I'm older. Right, right,
2: and you know, and and just just to take it a little bit further, like you know. It is about making every everything on the level playing field, but also acknowledging that certain communities and certain populations you might need a little bit extra support, right? So what can I do to give you know this community some support so they can be at the same level and be have access to the same things as we all do? Because we can create the same level playing field, but because of ooh, what's the word I want to look for? Societal societal constructs, right? Some of us, it takes a little bit longer for us to get to that level playing field. So how can we look at everything and make sure that everyone is lifted up to the same platform, because I can lift everybody up, but some of us might be higher than the other and then we're back in the same, same problem, right? But if I look at it and say, okay, well, we can lift everybody up and this group over here to my left and this group over here to my right, they need a little bit more help. Let's create systems to help raise them up so we are all truly on the same level playing field.
1: Um, tell me, let's say just for uh, argument's sake, COVID is not a thing right now. Tell us what kind of things we could expect to be happening during Black Pride here in DC. Go ahead, Kenya.
3: <laughs> that's, that's yours. <laughs> I'll mute myself.
2: Um, you know, and, and I'll tell you because this is what we typically have during our Black Pride week, right? We talk about Black Pride weekend, but Black Pride really has become a week-long process. Um, where we start off on Monday um with some smaller like social events going on, then we have our award ceremony, we award black and brown, queer individuals individuals, and allies um, that have been supportive of our community of the past year. And so we and have- And,
3: and it's just it's more than black and brown. It's anyone, the Ally Anybody. award goes to allies. everybody. So, everybody. So.
2: Right, right, right. So everybody. So we award people that really have supported our communities. Um, and then we move into, we have a political forum, um, especially for the past couple of years. Politics has become really, really, really important. And we realize that there's a hunger in the community to actually learn more and not only learn more, but to be able to get within close proximity of some of our elected officials. So we organize, Uh, a, a, and it, it change, the name changes every year. Um, So one day it's a policy thing. They say, it's just meet the Elected officials, whatever. Well, we try to create a space for the community to get close to that. Um, then we have, a, we usually have an annual um, ball um, for the ballroom community to come in and be part in our space. We give them space, prizes, cash prizes, a whole nine yards. Um, then we move into our opening reception, which is really like a big reception um right where everyone comes in it's free of charge you get drinks we have entertainment we have singers artists just a way to really welcome everyone into dc then we also have a slew of workshops where we talk about everything from spirituality to substance use you know you name it whatever is a conversation leather community. the leather community or whatever is something that the community wants to talk about we organize a workshop for that um and that happens um Pretty much all day um then we have our mary bowman poetry slam we bring in poets from the dmv area to come in and compete and we give away cash prizes that as well um we also have a um non-denominational um service for anyone of any faith to be able to come together if that's if you want right it's not a required thing that you want and of course of course we have parties we have the parties that start from thursday all the way to Monday, it seems like. To Tuesday. Um, to Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> like it's 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 so, so it's it's nonstop round the clock engagement, right? Um, I know one year, one of our longtime attendees says, you guys really packed the whole weekend. I don't know what to pick. And that's what <laughs> we want, right? We want the weekend to be so jam-packed with activities that you can pick and choose what you want to do and not have to just do something because that's the only thing for you to do. We want, you know, we, we our community is so diverse and robust, it fills up an entire week of daytime and nighttime events um that we that we that we put on and um yeah, every year and hopefully, hopefully, crossing fingers, um, you know, we'll be able to host things again next year in 2022 if COVID um, decides to move on and leave us.
3: And the only thing I would add is that as far as the party, we talk about equity. We work to make certain that there's equity in the, in the parties for and the I attendees. Mean, we, for example, a lot of the female, cisgender female um, promoters can't, don't have the funding or have access to larger spaces. So we, for example, we make certain that we have those, we use the spaces in our hotel. We have ballrooms. So we, uh, because, you know, you, people think you can put all the women together in one space. That's not how it works. they are, you know, they are younger women. There are the professional women. There are, the, you know, the ones a little bit more effeminate. There's one a little more, um, I guess they call them butch. And everyone has to have their own party. And so we give them space. And then we have something that we were very proud of, a gender non-conforming, non-binary party. And... Which we did that for the first time in 2019 and it was packed um it was yeah. it was a, it was fact it was packed full of people there were people there they were all having a good time and they were all dancing and, and enjoying themselves yes. and the perception is important that, that we have something for everybody that you don't have to it's not one person one party for the whole weekend for women there are multiple parties
2: right um you know there's a perception that It's only for the guys, right? But no, we make sure that, and I work with the um, female promoters that rent out the venues, that do have access to the venues, and those that don't, we work with creating a space for them as well. So we create, like Earl said, we had a non gender conforming party. We had a party for older women. Um, We also have a lot of things for seniors as well, right? We have a lot of workshops, we have um, receptions, we have a lot of things for everybody, for every component, older, younger, you know, wherever you fall. You know, on the spectrum of sexuality and gender expression, we have something for you within um, that course of that. But even year. for youth, even for people under twenty-one. Yep. Yep. Every everybody.
0: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay, so we kind of touched on a little bit about this when you were talking about allyship, but how can people the LGBTQ plus community be better allies?
3: Well, um, I can only go how I'm how I became a good ally. I became a good ally by asking permission to go into different spaces um, and, and saying, I want, to, I want to attend this meeting, I want to share some information. Um, and no one's ever said no to me. And when I'm in the space to be respectful of the space, knowing I'm gonna, you know, even if someone says something that may not be correct, it's not my place to correct them. Um, and, and listening and, and, and knowing that I'm not part of that community but, but I'm open to being, to assisting and using my privilege, because we all have some level of privilege somewhere, some somehow. And I'm connected in a political way, and I'm connected in the LGBT movement way. And I have, I have access to resources that other people don't have, and it's sharing the resources, and that's another way of being a good ally. And it's, not, it's not, for example, giving money always. Is I can give you a list of our sponsors. Sure, I can give you the list of our sponsors. If you can if you can talk to them, and they're giving you money. There's no reflection, they're not gonna take it from me.
2: Right. right.
3: Like so I, I have no problem sharing a list. Mm-hmm. And that's what for me being a good LA is listening and providing resources and stepping aside when my job is done.
2: Yeah, you know, that's something that we have done actually too for other communities. Is they say they needed consequent funders, for instance, to sponsors we was able to get them and connect them and say, hey, talk to this person, talk to that person. But to Earl's point, you know, listening is very important. Um, I think people can be a good ally Um, and coming in the space. And I understand, you know, from my experience, a lot of individuals have very good intentions where they're trying to help folks, but they come in the room, you know, with their preconceived notions and coming and telling you what you need, no, listen to me and hear what I need and then ask, how can I help? You know what I mean? Don't tell me, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I may not want you to do that. I may have somebody else that can do that. Ask me, how can I help you? Um, those are some of the things that, you know, we think is missing when you talk about allyship. You know, I, I could run on a list of people that great heart, mean well, but they never ask what you need. They come in and tell you, oh, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you that, I'm going to give you that, I'm going to give you that, because their friend from 20 years ago told them that this is what the community needs. And I'm like, no, come into the room now, listen, and ask, how can I help? That's how you can be a good ally. And me. our communities
3: are not monolithic either. We have as much diversity as any other all communities. And you can one size does not fit all. We and we have you know we have Caribbean Afri- African Americans, Caribbean Americans. We have uh, real African people from Africa who are American. Um, we have regional differences. Um, we have gender. Di- we have as many differences as any one other community. And and you have to you can't come in and start using generalities because you're going to insult people.
2: Yeah, you real, you're welcome.
3: Real fast.
2: This one is a Listen, open your ears and listen.
1: How uh, how far is the reach of the Center for Black Equity? Do you have um, programs in every in all of the fifty states?
3: No, uh, we have about forty-four. We have a, a new pride starting um, in a couple of weeks in South Florida. We have about forty. We have forty-four Black prides in the United States. We have eight abroad. In okay. the cities that we have abroad, we have one in London, which is an unbelievable Black Pride. Um, unbelievable, one of the best that I've attended. In um, Paris, there's one in Paris. There's one in, uh, two in Jamaica, King, uh, Kingston and in Montego um, Bay. Um, and there are two distinctively different Pride, pride events. Um, one is kind of a flash Pride, the one in Kingston, the other one is more uh, um, a traditional Black Pride. We have uh, Black Prides in South Africa. We have them in uh, Suriname. Barbados and Guyana. Our, our reach is and this and our reach is, actually the history of the CBE, if I if you bear with me for a moment to understand how we came about. Um I was the president of Black Pride um in 19, actually next year will be my 25th year of being involved in the DC Black Pride. And mm-hmm. in nineteen ninety um seven, I became president of DC Black Pride. And um we were the first pride and and, and each year after that. Memorial Day weekend, there'll be more people coming to DC and wanting to talk about doing a Black Pride in their city in Detroit and Philadelphia and um, in New York and, and North Carolina. And so, what I decided by 1999, I decided that while everyone was here, why don't we have a meeting and talk about how we can work together and, and, and um, support one another? Because we're all in the same boat um, and we're all having the same issues and about funding and, and just getting access to support. And so um, I uh, wrote the incorporation papers and we were called the International Federation of Black Prides mm-hmm. in 1999. And we had started off with eight members and it's, each year it grows, has grown and grown and grown and grown. In 19, and I mean, sorry, in 2012, we changed the name to Center for Black Equity because Black Pride, the name Black Pride was too narrow um, and people were not taking them as seriously as they thought it was like more like community pride where it's just a festival. And so they were having members were having difficulty getting money. Um, we were having difficulty getting money because they, people were saying, well, all you do is throw a festival. So why should we <laughs> support that? And we're trying to explain that we're doing community work and we, we're, doing, uh, we're dealing with economic and social and health equity issues. And so we changed the name. And that was probably the, sm- the smartest thing we ever did um, because we, we changed the name to reflect the tenor of the time and, and the tenor of the LGBTQ movement. Um, you know, same-sex marriage was coming down, and equality issues were in the forefront. And people needed to have a, and different communities need to have a more, a better tag than calling themselves Black Pride. And 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 so our Black Prides are different from a lot of community Black Prides because they do do community work. They're involved in the community and, and issues that, are, for example, Selma, Alabama, which is our smallest Black Pride. They were feeding uh, 75 people in their food bank a month before COVID. Oh. After COVID, they were feeding 450 people. Oh, wow. And they weren't feeding just uh, queer people. They were feeding whoever came and needed. You know, many of them were. And many of them were transgender and many of them were young. And many of them were in st- different stages of homelessness. But they were stepping up to the plate. And that's what we want our, all of our members to do. And that can happen in some Alabama, given their history and, and the community, it can happen any place in the world. I'm convinced.
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, that's a that's a really great story. Um, it's really nice to hear that people are able to um, you know, give so much help during these really difficult times. Um, let me ask you this. A lot of people say to us all the time, you know, it's 2021. Why do you still need you know gay centered groups? Why do you still even need pride? Um. What do you think is the most important part of, of continuing to celebrate the Black Pride? I'm going to start, and Kenny was going, to, was going to finish what I would say, because I'm going to give an analogy.
3: <laughs> I'm, from, uh, I'm from Philadelphia area. I've been living in D.C. for over 25 years, but I'm from the Philadelphia area. And one of the things that I grew up with was um, everyone celebrating their ethnicity. And we would have a Columbus Day parade. We would have a St. Patrick's Day parade. We would have we have all kinds of orange parade for the for the Protestant and the Irish, uh, Orange Sash Day. We would have all these different parades. Pulaski Day for the Polish. We would have um, all these parades and all these days for people to to affirm their ethnicity within the American context. And the fact is that um, it's you know we should be proud of our who we are. And we're not often given the space to, to show our pride as being both African-American, people of African descent and be LGBTQ. Black pride is a safe space and I'm very proud of that. And Kenya and I work very hard to create a safe space for anyone, any we've had. I could tell you if we had to, uh, two hours, I could tell you all kinds of stories that have nothing to do with uh, African-Americans who have come to Black pride and whose lives have been changed or been impacted. We, when you create a safe space, you can't create a safe space with just yourself. You have to create it for everybody, yeah, and that's what Black Pride is a safe space. It's a place for a firm being both queer and being black, and there are very few spaces in the world where where one can do that and people who have come to Black Pride and I've met thousands of people whose lives have been transformed because they've come and seen people who look like themselves who uh, they, they see that they see role models, they see people who are living successfully and professional, and they take these ideals back home and they try to implement them in their own implement them in their own lives
2: yeah. Um, I think the concept of why do we need a Black Pride is quite elitist, right? Because, you know, we happen to live in D.C., right? Or people live in New York where it's okay, but representation matters, right? And what about those individuals that live in, you know, some of the rural states that don't have any Black queer space to go, right? They need a Black Pride right? Um, Because everyone wants to be around a space where there's everyone that looks like them understands them, understands their culture, understands their swag, understands the music and everything. And what we've seen is that, you know, mainstream pride typically does not reflect us. We're kind of like, that component is is kind of thrown in just to make sure that they check a box. Where when you come to Black's pride, Black pride, it's about us, it's for us, and it's by us, right? You look what's going on right now with the Boosie and Lil Nas X situation, right? He does not like the fact that this man is out here living himself, being authentically open and gay. And there's many, 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 many people, more than we realize, people that live in some of these states and spaces, and actually even in some of these metropolitan areas that have families that they can't come out and be at, and that one time a year, they know they can come to D.C. or they can go to Jersey or go wherever, and they could just breathe and be around people and understand people and just learn. Because Black Pride you know, is more than just a bunch of parties. It's culture. And so many people come to Black Pride and learn so much about not just their culture, about being Black, but being Black and queer, and learn the impact of Black queer individuals through history. So why is it a Black Pride? Why do we need a Black Pride? Why don't we need a Black Pride? Why should we get rid of the Black Pride? We need it because we're here and representation always has mattered and always will matter and
3: half a million people attend black Pride each year in a normal year nobody gotta want
2: to come to it
1: (laughs) (laughs) well said um all right well we have taken up more than enough of your time but i want to sincerely thank you both for taking the time to talk us this has been informative and fun I do sincerely hope that we're able to see the Black Pride events be back in person and in their full glory this year or in the coming year. Where do people go? Tell us your website, your social media handles, whatever other information you think people might need to find out everything there is to know about the Center for Black Equity, Black Pride and anything else. (laughs) Sure, visit us at
2: centerforblackequity.org, F-O-R-C-E-N-T-E-R, F-O-R, BlackEquity.org, and actually on that website, you can actually click and find all the prides around the world, wherever you are, literally type in your zip code and you find the nearest Black pride to where you are. Because again, we think that's the, that space is important for everyone to know where it is. Um, So I would always tell everyone to visit us there. And it's the same name on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Center for Black Equity. If you want to learn about DC specifically, dcblackpride.org, and it's the same thing on all social media platforms. Um, That's where you can get the most updated information. But I tell everyone about Center for Black Equity because you never know who might hear this information and might not know where their pride is in the area. Go to that website, click Black Prides. You see the big map that will pop up and just type in your zip code, and it'll narrow down the pride closest to you.
1: Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again. Um, again, we really appreciate it. And this has been fun. So hopefully we can have you back again so that you can tell us about all the awesome parties coming up in 2022 and 2023 and, and in the future. Absolutely. Invite, us,
2: invite us and we'll come back. And we'll come That's back. Awesome. You know, this year we did 12 months of Black Pride. So we had a Black Pride event every month. You know, when it was closed down, we had virtual events. When it opened, we started having open a little bit more public events. So we're still doing things um, every year because, again, we felt that the community deserved to have something for them. So Best like back whenever. I love to talk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we definitely will. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Take care. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers under the bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of team dc for more information about team dc please visit www.teamdc.org
1: we want to give credit to ralph elston for the design of our logo also our music is provided by dc's different drummers marching band and was composed by travis gettinger You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all major podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend who might enjoy listening.
0: Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC board members Laura Frere and Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and participants
3: of Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.